welcome to the Healthy, Wealthy, and Smart Podcast. Each week, we interview the best and brightest in physical therapy, wellness, and entrepreneurship. We give you cutting-edge information you need to live your best life, healthy, wealthy, and smart. The information in this podcast is for entertainment purposes only and should not be used as personalized medical advice. And now, here's your host, Dr. Karen Litzy. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm your host, Karen Litzy, and today's episode is brought to you by NetHealth. So NetHealth wants to talk about something important, patients and their outcomes. So aside from having power to influence better patient results, you have the right data to assess clinic performance, oversee quality, assess and mentor clinicians, understand patient sentiment, and market to referring physicians. So if you love to nerd out on this as much as I do and many, many others, as evidence with my conversation last uh, this past weekend at the next conference, the best industry event around outcomes management is happening from October 23rd to the 24th in Knoxville, Tennessee, and it's the Clinical Outcomes Summit. It's hosted by Photo, Focus on Therapeutic Outcomes, but it's not just for photo clients. Healthy, wealthy, and smart podcast listeners get a steep discount on the registration. The full summit is only $150. If you want that great price, go to www.outcomesnerd.com and use the discount code LITZY. All right, on to today's episode. Four amazing women in this podcast. Co-host Jenna Cantor, Dr. Jenna Cantor, is back. This was recorded live at Graham Sessions a couple of months ago in Austin, Texas. And on the program today, we have the wonderful Dr. Lisa Van Hoos, the amazing Dr. Monique Carruth, and of course, the wonderful, wonderful, lovely Kitty Adderley. So all of these ladies came together to speak about a question that brought to light an uncomfortable conversation that happened at Graham Sessions. That's all I'm going to say. you got to listen to get the question and why it was uncomfortable. Talk about how individuals with different backgrounds can have different perspectives and how the physical therapy profession can grow in their inclusion and diversity efforts. So too many... um, too many bios to read here, but if you pop over to podcast.healthywealthysmart.com, you can read more about Lisa, about Monique, and about Kitty, and about Jenna. So everyone, enjoy today's episode. It is, again, another much-needed conversation on equality, equity, and inclusion, and diversity in the physical therapy field. So thank you, ladies, for having this conversation and for allowing me to post it on the podcast. So everyone enjoy. Hello, this is Jenna Cantor with Healthy, Wealthy, and Smart. And here I'm at the Graham Sessions in 2019. Here, Where are we? We're in Austin, Texas. Yes, I'm with at least... And, and where? And at the Driscoll. Yes, at the Driscoll. Yes. I'm here with Kitty Adderley, Monique Carruth, and Lisa Van Hoos. Thank you so much for being here, you guys. So I have decided I want to really talk about what went on today. Mm-hmm. What went on today in Graham Sessions where we were not necessarily heard 
as individuals. And I would like to really hit on this point. So actually, Lisa, I'm going to start by handing the mic to you because you did go up and you spoke on a point. So I would love for you to talk about that. And then Monique, definitely please share afterwards. And then I would love for you to share your insight on that as well. So first of all, thank you so much for giving us this opportunity just to kind of reflect on today's activities. And so um, I did ask a question this morning about um, the differences in the response to the opioid crisis versus the crack cocaine crisis. And um, I was asking one of our speakers who is quite knowledgeable in healthcare systems um, to get his perspective on that. And he basically said, that's not really my area, right? And then gave a very generic answer. And as I said earlier to people, I'm totally okay with you saying you don't know. Um, But I think you also have to make sure that that person that you're speaking to knows that I still value your question and maybe even give some ideas of maybe who to talk to. And this person would have had those resources, but um, I guess it was quite evident to a lot of people in the room that they felt like I had been blown off. So yes. So that was an interesting happenings today. And actually bouncing off that, would you mind sharing how this has actually been a common occurrence for you? You were, you kind of were saying like you've seen, dealt with something like this before. Would you mind educating the listeners about the, about your history and how this has happened in your past? Yeah. So I think, um, anytime, you know, not just within the PT profession, but also just in society as general, when we need to have conversations about the effects of racism, um, both at a personal and systemic level, it's an uncomfortable conversation. And so I find that people try to bail out or they try to ignore the question or they blow the question off. And ultimately, it's just we're not willing to have those crucial conversations and And I think they almost try to minimize it, right? And I don't know if that comes from a place of um, they're uncomfortable with the conversation or maybe they just feel like the conversation's not worth their time. But um, I can just tell you as just an African-American woman in the U.S., this is a common occurrence. Um, As an African-American PT, I will admit it happens a lot within the profession. Um, But I do think that there are those um, like you and like Karen and others that are willing to kind of move into that space because that's the only way we're going to make it better. Thank you. Thank you for giving that insight, especially so because people don't see us right now, so so they can really get a, a, a fuller picture of it. Um, and now, Monique, would you mind sharing, when you went up and spoke, how that experience was for you, what you were talking about, and how you felt the issue that you were bringing up was acknowledged? Well, as Lisa said, um, we're kind of used to talking and it going through one ear and out the next, and or issues not really being addressed. Um, I think... It comes from a point where a lot of Caucasians think that if you try to bring it up, they would be blamed for what has was done 400 years ago, 300 years ago. So it comes from a place of guilt. They don't want to be seen as they have an advantage. And I think as blacks, we had a role to play in it by saying, oh, you're white and you're privileged, so you had an advantage, which structurally there is an advantage. Um, There is structural advantages. Um, As I was discussing with Lisa and Kitty and uh, Ann Wendell uh, last night, that as an immigrant, even though I'm black, 
there are more benefits that I've received being here than someone who was born maybe in Washington, D.C. or inner city Chicago or maybe even um, Flint, Michigan. Um, I can drink clean water. I could open my tap and drink clean water. I don't have to worry about, you know, drinking lead or anything like that. Um, I can leave home with my windows open, my doors open, and feel safe that my neighbors will be looking out for me and stuff like that. I can walk my neighborhood. So there are privileged, even though I'm black, that some people can afford. And would I be ashamed of being in that position? No, I acknowledge it. Um, and even within our black community, there are a lot of us, we may not have been born in a world of wealth. Um, I wasn't. Um, my parents sacrificed a lot to get me where I am today. But not because I have somewhat made it means that I have to ignore the other people that have struggled. And this is a problem that I'm noticing in a lot of um, black communities. Like when someone makes it or they become successful, a.k.a. Ben Carson, Dr. Ben Carson. Um, <laughs> well, you got to fill people in. <laughs> I'm giving you gotta it up. you got to fill people in. you got to fill people in. <laughs> you know... Um, we feel that if I can make it, why can't you? And because some of those people were not afforded the same privileges that you were afforded, and it's kind of fair to make that statement that if I made it, so can you. And you can't tell people that you worked your butt off or you worked hard and pulled yourself up by your bootstraps when you were afforded uh, um, welfare stuff, your, you know, your mom benefited from stuff. I was afforded scholarships so that I don't have to have $200,000 in, in debt. So I could afford, afford it to purchase a home after I graduated and all that stuff because I was not in debt. And a lot of people do not have that luxury. So I can tell people, if I can do it, you can do it too. I have to try to find ways to address their concerns and see how I can better help them to move forward and live better. And the problem within our profession is that many in leadership, even though they see themselves as making it, they don't want to acknowledge that not everyone comes from the same place. It's not a level playing field. And they try to dismiss those by saying, oh, if I can make it, everybody else can as well. Thank you. Well said. Well said. Kitty. <laughs> so would you mind sharing, in light of what everybody said, some of your thoughts on this matter? Well, it was interesting to watch the conversation, listen to the conversation today. Um, I have a unique perspective in that I don't practice in the United States. I don't live in the United States. But I am frequently here taking part in... in um, education, but also watching the growth and development of the physical therapy profession. So I'm from the Bahamas, and it's predominantly African descent population, right? And so some of the issues that people of color in the United States deal with, we don't really deal with those in terms of that. Um, limitations and privileges and, you know, it's, it's more of a socioeconomic for us and once you can afford it, then you go and do and, and I think we're pretty fortunate if we talk about the board, well, across the board that most people can afford some form of education and get it. So it's, it's I'm in a unique position 
because I look African-American. And once I don't open my mouth, you don't know. And so I'm privy to some conversations on both sides of the room. <laughs> and, you know, and people approach, so what do you think about this? And how do you feel about that? And how does it bother you? And, you know, I said, well, I'm not the typical African-American. And, and, and they see them sort of take a step back. And it sort of gives you the understanding that they don't truly understand that every person of color does not have the same story. Mm-hmm. And so you can't approach us expecting us to have the same story, right? Because you're three, three women of color here. One's born and bred African-American, one's born and bred Trinidadian, transplanted in the United States, and one's born and bred still working in the Bahamas and in the Caribbean, good? So we all have different perspectives and we all come from different backgrounds and different experiences. But it was interesting in the, in, when Lisa asked her question and... You know, they, he, we like, you know, people say, well, you know, you need to bring it up. We don't talk about these things enough. And it's almost like, okay, you bring up the conversation. So the ball's in play. It's tossed from one play to the next. And then we're like, oh, shoot, we can't handle this. And the ball just drops again. And so the conversation <laughs> shuts down. And you're like, but you didn't answer the question. And you're like, you know, well, yeah, okay, well, we'll throw the ball up in the air at another time. And I think this is where the frustration comes in for people of color that live in the United States because you want us to have these conversations. We're given, quote, unquote, the opportunity to ask these questions or or, or have these discussions. And the discussions come up, and and at the end of it, it's like, okay, we just gave you the opportunity to discuss where do we go from here. What's done? What's the recourse? What's our next step? What's our plan of action? And when we talk about inclusion and diversity, if you're not going to take it to the next step, if you're not going to have a call to action, then what's the point? And this is why probably people of color don't come back out again, because what's, it's, a bit, it's a bit annoying. It's like a frustration. Because you stand there, you're waiting for a response, and it's like, oh, well, you know, this is in my field. And I, and I appreciate the honesty, but then let's address this. At some point, we have to address this. So do we need another meeting just to address this? Do we have to have, you know, let's, just, let's pick a topic and work on it. So like I said, it was a very unique perspective. Um, I sort of like watching the response of the other people in the room and see how they, you know, respond to it. But the conversation needs to keep going for those of us who can tolerate it or have the patience to deal with it at this given time. And um, it, was, it was a great experience. It was a good experience. <laughs> I love it. So I would have just one more question for each of you. And it's, what would you recommend we do as a profession, both individually and as a collective, in order to grow on this manner? And we are going to take a quick break to hear from our sponsor and be right back with those answers. Let's talk about something important, patients and their outcomes. If you love to nerd out on this kind of talk like I do, the best industry event around outcomes management is happening from October 23rd to the 25th, and it's the Clinical Outcomes Summit. It's hosted by Photo, but it's not just for photo clients. It's a gathering of everyone who believes in the power of outcomes management to drive change for patients, clinicians, practices, and payers. And the best part, healthy, wealthy, and smart podcast listeners get a steep discount on the registration. The full summit pass is only $150. At that rate, go ahead and bring your entire team. Go to www.outcomesnerd.com and use the discount code LITZY. That's L-I-T-Z-Y. Hope to see you there. Well, uh, piggybacking off of what Kitty mentioned, um, 
I was sort of blown away too when he said that that's not his feel because he's a reporter. He does documentary stuff. All you were asking was for an opinion. You weren't asking for, you know, an analysis or anything. It was just an opinion. And he refused to give that. And his excuse was, I don't know much about it. And what was, it wasn't surprising, but no one else in the crowd said, we, well, we didn't address her concern. Mm. And immediately he was, she then put it in a way that made it seem, oh, the crackademic was black and the opioid crisis is white. He was the one who drew it up. Because mm-hmm. I was actually praising her for how skillfully she worded it. Oh, it great. I'm learning a lot of tact from observing Lisa because <laughs> I'm not that tactful. And my family tells me I need to be <laughs> more tactful. <laughs> okay. But it's that no one else said, okay, let's discuss it. Really, why? Why is the APT making such a big push? Choose PT now versus in the 80s when the crack, um, crack epidemic was destroying an entire city because D.C. was known for being chocolate city and the crack epidemic wiped it out and it got gentrified, all right? It rebuilt it, but now again it's gentrified. <laughs> like, I went to Howard University. You know, I could walk around Shaw Howard and I'm like, am I in Georgetown? Because you don't recognize, you know, the people living there. It has driven out a lot of blacks that were living in LaDroit Park. And, it, you know, it's now predominantly um, young, white lobbyists living in, in the area. So if we don't have the support of our colleagues, how can we address inclusion? How can we address equity? if they're not willing to put themselves out there to say, hey, Lisa, I got your back. We need to talk about this. We need to discuss it. Let's have a discussion. Your question was not answered. You weren't even, it wasn't even to say that it was acknowledged with a dignified response because we are spending millions of dollars on the Choose PT campaign. Why? Is it because the Surgeon General is saying or there needs to be another alternative? Is it because Congress is trying to pass bills to lower the opioid crisis? Why? If you're asking people to choose PT, why? What makes it different? Okay? Even with the Medicaid population, the majority of people who receive Medicaid are black and brown. Are we fighting to, to get make sure that people have Medicaid coverage or other stuff? Or are we fighting running down... Signer and Blue Cross Blue Shield and Humana and all those other type of insurances because we think the money is in these insurances when they could dictate whatever they want. You could provide a service and say you're providing quality service, but if they say, oh, we're just going to reimburse you $60, we reimburse you $60, and people bitch and (laughs) people complain on Twitter and on social media. about, you know, insurance stuff. But if I see a Medicaid patient in Maryland, I am guaranteed $80, $90. And that person has the treatment. They are being seen. They're getting better. It's guaranteed money. 
But a lot of people don't want to treat the Medicaid population because they think they're getting blacks or Hispanics. And I hear complaints like, I don't really want to treat that population because we're going to have no-shows and cancellations and all that stuff, which is BS. It's excuses. And we have to do better as a profession to acknowledge our biases and work on ways to help work with the population that we serve. Because let's face it, America is not going to remain white. It's going to get mixed. We're going to have some more chocolate chips and the cookies. <laughs> okay. All right. It's going to be more than three chocolate chips and the whole cookie next time. <laughs> I, before I pass it to you, Kitty, I, I really like where you're going with this, Monique. And I think it, it's important to acknowledge why, which I didn't at the beginning, why, why, why we're tapping on this one incident and really diving in. And it's because what I've been learned today from my friends is that this is a common occurrence in the physical therapy industry. It's not just, it, and it's not just within our industry. It's what you guys deal with regularly. And if we are talking about our patients, providing better patient care, we need to really, really be fully honest with where we are at. Even as they are speaking, I'm constantly asking myself, what are my, what are my things that I'm holding within me where I'm making assumptions about individuals? There's always room for growth. So please, as you continue to listen to Kitty speak next, just keep letting this be an opportunity to reflect and grow. Okay, so I recognize that incident was uncomfortable. It was an uncomfortable conversation to have. Mm -hmm. And it's okay to have uncomfortable conversations. As physical therapists, we have uncomfortable conversations with our patients all the time. We have uncomfortable conversations with our colleagues and we have to call them out on some malaction or when they call us out on something that we need to do. And because the conversation is uncomfortable, it doesn't mean that we don't have it. We probably need to talk about it more. Mm -hmm. And so if there's anything that I want to say, I think we need to have more of these conversations and have them until they no longer become comfortable, uncomfortable, I'm sorry, until we could actually sit down with, well, I shouldn't say anybody, but with the people of influence, because this is what it's really about. We were sitting with very influential people today. And um, all of us there, I'm sure, were people of influence. And, you know, this is what we need. This is what we need to use. And... Um, don't be afraid to have the conversation. As uncomfortable as it may make you feel, why are we having this in conversation? We want inclusion. We want diversity. We want a better profession. And if those are the goals of the conversation, we shouldn't shy away from it. Thank you. I'm going to hand this over to Lisa for one last, one last thing. So I just want to talk about the fact that part of the conversation was this dodging, right, of, of a need to kind of have this very authentic and deep conversation. Um, the other part of today's events that I'm still processing is this conversation about the need for change to be incremental, right, comfortable. Um, and for those of us that are marginalized to understand that the majority feels like there has been significant change. Um, and that was communicated to me in some side conversations. And, and I was challenged by one person that was like, 
well, I think you have this bias and you're not recognizing the change that has occurred and how that this is awesome that we're even in a place to have this, that we're having this conversation today, you know, that you need to acknowledge that success that we've made. And so I do agree that, you know what, all work is good work and I will applaud you for what has been done today. But I also would say to people who feel that way, step back and say, okay, if the PT profession has not really changed its demographics in the last 30 years, and if you were an African-American, a Hispanic, an Asian-American, an Asian Pacific Islander, or someone of multiracial descent, Would you be okay with that? Saying that, you know what, I started applying to PT school when I was in my 20s and I'm finally maybe going to get in in my 50s and 60s. How would that feel, right? That wasted life because you're waiting on this incremental change. And I think if we could just be empathetic and put ourselves in the other person's shoes and say, would I be okay with waiting 30 years for change? Would I be all right with that? But I often feel like when it is not your tribe that has to wait, Mm -hmm. you okay with telling somebody else to wait, right? And so um, I want to read this quote from Martin Luther King, and it was from the letters from Birmingham, where he criticized white moderates, and he said that a white moderate is someone who constantly says to you, I agree with your goal, with the goal that you seek but I cannot agree with your methods of direct action, who believes that he can set the timetable for another man's freedom. Such a person, according to King, is someone who lives by a mythical concept of time and is constantly advising the Negro to wait for a more convenient season. And that's how I felt like today's conversation from some, not all was going. King also talked about the fact that that shallow understanding from people of goodwill is more frustrating than the absolute misunderstanding from people of ill will. Lukewarm acceptance is much more bewildering than outright rejection. And I say that all the time because I would prefer that you be very honest with me and say, I don't really care about diversity and inclusion, but don't act like you're my ally. But then when it's time to have a hard conversation, you say, I can't do that. I'm like, choose a side, pick a side. There is no Switzerland. There is no in between. Thank you so much, you guys. I'm so grateful to be having this conversation, to finish it with a great Martin Luther King quote, which is absolutely incredible. I'm just full of gratitude. So thank you. I'm really looking forward to this coming out and people getting to share this joy of learning and growth that you have just shared with me right now. And thank you for being an ally. We really appreciate that. So um, we're not, I just want people to know, we're not saying that the African-American or the immigrant experience is different from the Caucasian experience. I think we all have this commonality of being othered at one time or another. But yes, with being a white female, LGBTQ, I think the complexities of who we are as a human, there's always going to be a time where you're an N of one or maybe a two and you get that feeling that, ooh, am I supposed to be here? But I think what we're talking about is being empathetic 
And if we're going to talk about being physical therapists, being practitioners and compassionate, and we're going to provide this patient-centered care, how can you tell me you're going to provide patient-centered care when you can't even have a conversation with me as a colleague, right? When you can't even see me. So I just want the audience to know um, that we're not coming from a place of being victims. We're coming from a place of really wanting to have collaborative conversations. I like to view my colleagues as family members. Mm -hmm. There are times, as much as I love my family, my mom and my dad and my sisters and my brothers-in-law, there are times we will sit and have some of the most uncomfortable conversations, but at the end of it, it's out of love. It's out for us to grow as a family. And yeah, you may not talk to the person for like a day or two, but you're like, <laughs> shit, you know, that's my sister, that's my brother-in-law, you know. I have to love him. But, you know, you try to hear their perspective. You try to make sure they hear your perspective and you come at a common ground so that the family can grow. And we don't treat this profession as a family. The ones who are marginalized are st- treated as stepchildren. And that's a bad thing because stepchildren usually revolt. And when they revolt, the ones who are comfortable with incremental change and are afraid of chasing the shiny new object. Because to, when I heard that comment today, I felt like the shiny new object was diversity, equity, and inclusion that people were trying to avoid without seeing it outright. And as someone who feels like they have been marginalized, it was like a low blow. Um, So I, for one, appreciate people like you, um, Ann Wendell, Jerry Durham, Karen Litzy, and stuff, who have Sean Hagee and others, Dee Conetti, Sherry Teague, reach out to us and say, how can we help? Um, And you need people like that to be on your side. Martin Luther King needed white people. Okay, Rosa Parks needed white people. Uh, Harriet Tubman needed white people to get where they are. Even Muhammad Ali needed white people to be as successful as he is. We all need each other. If we are saying championing better together, How can you be better together if you're not willing to hear the reasons why you feel marginalized or or victimized? It's not going to work. Stop throwing around slogans or bumper stickers and start start fixing, working on fixing the the broken system that we have. That's that's all I'm asking for. And we got to start working as a family, as uncomfortable as it may be, all right? We'll get over it. And we're going to like and appreciate each other for it later on in the end. Okay? Dr. Mo just said we finna have a bumper sticker gang. We taking your bumper stickers off. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I think that concludes it. Thank you, guys. Thank you for tuning in, everyone. Take care. A huge thank you to all four ladies, to Jenna, to Kitty, to Monique, and to Lisa for being honest and vulnerable and making us think. So thank you so much, ladies. Um, And if there's any other ways in which other people of the physical therapy community can support you, please, please let us know. 
And of course, a huge thank you to the sponsor of today's episode, NetHealth. So again, NetHealth is teaming up with Photo for the Clinical Outcomes Summit, October 23rd to the 25th in Knoxville, Tennessee. It's all about outcomes. It's all about how to uh, manage those outcomes to drive change for patients, clinicians, practices, and payers. Healthy, wealthy, and smart podcast listeners get a steep discount. It's only 150 bucks. So go to outcomesnerd.com and use the discount code LITZY. Thank you for listening, and please subscribe to the podcast at podcast.healthywealthysmart.com. And don't forget to follow us on social media.